Cynthia Dill. With me in New York City is Darnley Stewart, one of the top employment lawyers in the country and an LGBTQ community activist in New York. I caught up with her to talk about Mike Bloomberg and the race for the 2020 presidential election. Welcome, Darnley Stewart. Thanks. Cynthia, good to see you. It's good to see you, too. Uh, we went to law school together in Northeastern University School of Law, graduated in 1990, and you mm-hmm. took off to make it big in New York and have been in the big city ever since, working as one of the nation's most prominent employment lawyers. Unbelievable. <laughs> Thanks. I did work for a year as a, as a law clerk to a judge in Massachusetts before I moved to the big city, but I have been here since 1991. And we are, as I'm talking to you presently, just a couple of blocks away from the World Trade Center, and you were in the city on September 11th, 2001. Tell me, where were you that day? Tell me about that day for you. Well, I'm sure every New Yorker has a 9-11 story and where they were and what was going on. I actually, um, uh, my wife and I had been at a wedding in California and landed um, at JFK the morning of 9-11 because um, it was after midnight. So we landed from California early that morning. I got up later than I tend to get up in the morning the following day. Beautiful, crisp day. Everyone remembers what, it, what a beautiful a day it was. And I was standing at the bus stop in front of our building uh, in Midtown on the east side, and all of a sudden you could just tell that all hell had broken loose. And we lived near the FDR Drive, and both sides of the FDR were being used for emergency vehicles. And um, York Avenue, which is where we lived, was totally full of emergency vehicles, everyone heading downtown. And I said to the woman next to me at the bus stop, something really terrible has happened. And I got on the bus and went to my office, and as I got off at 6th Avenue, everyone was standing on the sidewalk and some people in the street just looking downtown. And I just kept walking towards my office, and I thought, this is very strange. And finally, when I got to my office, which is at 53rd Street and 6th Avenue, I, there was a man there with binoculars and, a, weirdly enough, at, at this time, a transistor radio, which I hadn't seen in a long time. And he was listening to the radio and looking in his binoculars downtown. And I said, what happened? And he said, a, a, an airplane went into the World Trade Center. And I looked downtown, and I saw the puff of smoke going off from the... Um, from the first tower that had been hit, and stood there for a little bit and then went up to my office. And by the time I got to my office, people were watching TV, and the second plane had hit. And I went into the office, and they said, a second plane just hit the World Trade Center. (laughs) I looked at everyone and said, it's terrorism. And they looked at me like, duh. And it just began a crazy day for all of us, um, not knowing what was going to happen with military aircraft over the city. Honestly, the, the smell um, from downtown permeated the way the winds were, were blowing that day, permeated much of the city, and it was just, you didn't know what was going to happen. So we just sat and watched TV together. Um, and then, you know, at one point le- I left and walked home because there were no services. and. It was one of the saddest things I've ever watched because our home at the time was right on the East River and we had a, an apartment that was over the 59th Street Bridge. And all afternoon, just armies of people marching over the bridge, leaving the city. And it was really, that's you know one of the images that will always remain with me. Did you lose friends or colleagues in the attack? Um, you know, more friends of friends. Um, and one of my college 
um, college classmates um, worked for Aon and, and perished. Um, and that's pretty much the closest someone I was an acquaintance of, but not a close friend. So I was very lucky in that regard. Some people forget that shortly after the 9-11 attacks, there was an election in New York City. And that November, Mike Bloomberg, who had been a lifelong Democrat, became the Republican and won the election. Do you recall that election as yeah. a New Yorker? Yeah, that, I mean, that. Well, of course, that election was very interesting because <clears throat> what Bloomberg eight years later was successful at doing, which was extending the term limits, where there were term limits at the time uh, for the mayor to only have two four-year terms. At that time, remember, Mayor Giuliani was seeing as being America's mayor and felt very strongly that he had, and I'm not going to lie, I have my issues with a lot of, especially now, with Mayor Giuliani, but he was a strong leader through that crisis. Um, so he was making a strong pitch at that time to, to extend the term limit so that he could then be the mayor, which didn't go anywhere. And, you know, we may talk about it later, but um, Bloomberg, eight years later, was successful in getting the term limits um, extended. So at that time, everyone was wondering, is, is, is the city council going to change the term limit so that Giuliani can be the mayor for one more term? It didn't happen. Um, and then Bloomberg ran against a... a um, pretty conventional Democratic candidate named Mark Green, who um, a good a good Democrat. And in the first uh, election involving Bloomberg, I voted for the Democratic candidate, being a lifelong Democrat myself. And Mark Green was a dependable Democrat, ran for everything, including, you know, dog catcher, but, um, but a good candidate. And I voted for him, and he ultimately lost to Bloomberg. Now, I should note that my daughter, Isabel, was recently hired by the Bloomberg campaign. Um, had nothing to do with me. <laughs> but, uh, so you, as I mentioned earlier, I think are safely described as a, uh, an activist. Is that fair? You've had, uh, or a pretty prominent in democratic politics. Yeah, I have, I come from, um, my father was born in, in Ireland. I'm a first generation um, kid and uh, raised by two um, real Democrats, um, very involved in politics in Massachusetts where I grew up. And at a very young age, I was, I mean, you really have to know something about Massachusetts politics, but I was um, going door to door for Robert Drynan, who was a congressman, um, going door to door many times for Mike Dukakis. My father was very close to Mike Dukakis. I had a, you know, like a um, backpack or um, book bag from, that said McGovern um, Shriver, you know, in, in, the, in the day. So um, we were definitely in the Democratic camp and very active in politics growing up. Now, you did, though, vote for Mike Bloomberg when he went for re-election? Correct. I voted for Mark Green in 2001, but four years later, um, for a variety of reasons, I, and, and eight years later, um, I voted for Bloomberg in those two elections. Why? So those are my only two Republican votes ever, including you know, having to hold my nose a couple of times in Massachusetts and in New York, but... Um, Having to hold your nose when you voted for the Democrat. For a Democrat, correct. You know, Charles Rangel was my, in New York, was my, um, represent my local congressman, and he got into some trouble, and I was not happy with him, but I voted for him anyway, more recently. But, um, listen, here's, the reason why I voted for Bloomberg both times, it was sort of a, a comment on the Democrats who were 
put up for one thing in, in uh, 2005 it was someone named Freddie Farrar who was the Bronx um, borough president not a strong leader um, not impressive to me four years later was someone named Bill Thompson who had been the controller I had had personal dealings with him I was not never impressed by him meanwhile I had a mayor who was a lifetime Democrat, who was a Republican in my view, in name only. So on social issues, he's always been great, including uh, as I'm a member of the LGBTQ community, he's always been great in those issues. He's an early supporter of same-sex marriage. In terms of um, obviously in gun control, the environment, he's always been strong. Very um, supportive of women's right to choose. Um, including going, you know, up even as a Republican, opposing um, John Roberts as head of the, as the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court because um, he didn't think, he was afraid that Roberts would not be strong on um, upholding Roe v. Wade. So on those issues, I felt perfectly comfortable. And I also, frankly, New York City was in a fiscal crisis after 9-11, the likes of which, you know, we haven't seen, you know, maybe until 2008. And... Bloomberg came in and did what we had, with this president, we had, even though, of course, Democrats like I did not support the current administration, uh, certainly not for president, we sort of harbored the secret hope at the back of our minds that maybe as a, quote, successful businessman, he would come in, approach the job like a businessman, surround himself with good people. You're talking about Donald Trump right I'm now? talking about Donald yes. Trump as a businessman. We sort of, even though we dreaded, and it has come to pass what we dreaded, but sort of when we, in our most wishful moments, we thought, oh, well, maybe he'll approach his job as a businessman and he'll surround himself with really good people and um, bring efficiencies to the government and do things like that. Um, that never happened. Um, but with Bloomberg, it really did. Um, and he, I think he started with something like a $6 billion deficit and left the mayoralty with a several billion dollar surplus. He uh, introduced innovations in terms of technology and um, within the agencies. He made difficult choices as a quote Republican, including raising property taxes. Um, and he just um, brought a lot of fiscal sensibleness to the city that um, I thought warranted a vote. <laughs> now, what I think is really in, um, interesting, too, is not only did Mike Bloomberg preside over the rebuilding of New York after 9-11, but then when the financial crisis hit in 2008, he was also the mayor. So he was really in the throes of leadership at some of the most critical times in the city. Um, what does it say to you that the current president of the United States was a lifelong Democrat, and now he's the Republican president? Mike Bloomberg, lifelong Democrat, was Republican mayor for a term. Now he's the Democratic primary candidate. Is there, is there any commentary on partisan politics? Is that something that's just unique to New York, that you can sort of move in and out like that? Or what, what's your reaction? Well, I mean, I can't speak to the president. I think he's a phone. I mean, uh, honestly, I believe him to be a phony. And I don't He was in favor of, he was pro-choice, and now he's violently anti-choice. I mean, I, 
he's turned out to be the, probably the most the political, pers politically minded person um, ever elected. But um, I, I, th I, d I think that the president ran as a Republican because for the same reason that Bloomberg switched to the Republican Party f for the purposes of running in 2001, which is that he thought he had a better chance of getting to the final election. Um, I think Bloomberg has been pretty explicit that he didn't think he could beat Mark Green, who was this very dependable, well-known Democratic candidate. He didn't think he could beat him in a primary, which is why he switched parties. I don't think that it, it was a reflection of his um, political views. I think it was purely um, pragmatic, and he's a very pragmatic person. Now, <laughs> 2020, we still don't, I thought we'd know by now who won the Iowa caucus. We don't, as we're recording this interview. Um, New York clearly has just some big, big, big players always. Jerry Nadler's, you know, this is his district. We have AOC, of course, the president, uh, Mike Bloomberg. Do you have a candidate yet for the 2020 primary in New York, which doesn't take place until April? Yeah. Um, I'm an Elizabeth Warren supporter at the moment. Um, I will support whoever. It'll, it will be a hard swallow if it's someone like Tulsi Gabbard, um, but... I will support whoever their Democratic Party puts up, but um, I'm, a, I'm a Massachusetts woman, and I'm, I support the senator from Massachusetts. Now, if, um, if Mike Bloomberg was to be the nominee, or Elizabeth Warren was to be the nominee, do you have somebody in a vice president that you like, or w Wait, is there if, a if ticket? Who's, if, if who's the nominee? If, if, um, if Elizabeth Warren, first I'll ask you, if Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren is the nominee, who do you think? would be a good complement to her ticket in terms of vice president? Well, that's interesting. I mean, I guess it would have to be somebody. I hadn't really thought of who her VP would be. I mean, may, the problem is they're both Northeasterners. I was thinking may Cory Booker or someone like that. May Julian Castro. Uh, I mean, I, th I always thought that Castro would be a great VP for any of the candidates, honestly. I thought he performed well during the debates, and I think he represents an important constituency, and um, he provides uh, support in states that um, different from the Northeast. One of the criticisms of Mike Bloomberg is his stop-and-frisk policy, which I understand that was adopted from the previous administration, but obviously maintained uh, throughout and then deemed unconstitutional. As a New Yorker, when Mike Bloomberg was mayor and you were voting for him um, and he was leading the city out of 9-11 and then the financial crisis, was the stop-and-frisk policy something on your mind every day as like a, a you know, a white it, it woman? Would not be, it would not be something <laughs> on my mind every day as a Caucasian, uh, middle-aged Caucasian woman in New York City. However, I was very aware of what was going on with stop-and-frisk because I am a civil rights attorney and friends of mine uh, well-respected attorneys brought a class action case against the city to challenge um, stop and frisk. And okay, so just stop me for a second. Mm -hmm. What You know more about it clearly than I do. So what was going on with stop and frisk? We hear a lot of just sound bites, but what was going on from your perspective, from well, your view? Well, the stop view? and frisk policy was that, <laughs> you know, I think without needing to have in the law what we call reasonable suspicion, um, the police had the ability to stop, I mean, literally stop and frisk people. Um, and it turned out when you not only anecdotally, but statistically looked at who was being targeted and who was being stopped, 
Um, it, was, it was something that was supposed to be applied equally, and of course, the people who were targeted uh, disproportionately were minorities. Um, it was also found statistically not to be particularly um, effective. And that's, I mean, if for somebody who is um, empirically based politician who ran, who, who ran and ran the mayorship in a way that was very technology and statistics and results oriented, I, one thing that's been extremely disappointing was um, Mike Bloomberg um, continuing to say that it was an effective police tactic when there was really good statistical evidence that it was not effective and didn't change anything. And you know, so was the evidence because that's what I was unclear about. I didn't know if was the evidence. I accept that the evidence would show bias and the application of the policy unfairly <coughs> towards minorities. But is there also evidence that it wasn't effective because Correct. people point to the lower crime rate and reduced crime. But the crime rate has not gone up since the policy stopped being used. I mean, that, I mean that's the thing. I mean, the crime rate has, as we know, the crime rate went down um, through the Giuliani administration. I mean, I think there was some reason to believe he, Mayor Giuliani used questionable tactics in terms of homelessness, in terms of uh, criminal prosecution. Um, but the crime rate did go down, and it continued to go down under Mayor Bloomberg. But it's also continued to be depressed, you know, to be um, no higher under de Blasio, despite uh, de Blasio administration making one of its primary um, positions to, to get rid of the stop and frisk policy. So it's been ended, but the crime rate has not gone up. Now, what do you think the booming economy in New York and elsewhere, but especially in New York, what does the booming economy do to the race for New Yorkers? Well, and by the way, just I, I spoke to a, a friend who's a financial advisor at one of the big firms recently and asked him what he thought about 2020, and he thinks the economy is going to remain strong through 2020, so that's going to remain, you know, I'm, I'm almost uh, completely retired. I'm on a fixed income, so um, I certainly am advantaged by a strong economy and, frankly, a strong market. Um, but it's certainly something that it seems the president is going to be able to ride into the 2020 election. Do you think people are looking, though, for something other than a strong... I mean, in other words, is, is, is the strong economy going to be Trump's pass for New Yorkers? Or, or are they going to say, you know what, the strong economy... Not for Democrats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, this is a business city. This is a financial... The financial services industry is uh, paramount here. So, obviously, I'm sure there'll be some lifelong Democrats, well, maybe that's not true, but who are in the financial services industry who may support him just because of that. Now, Mayor Giuliani, you were a constituent of his and in the same city. Is he crazy like a fox? What's going on with <laughs> At this point, I Rudy think he's Giuliani. just crazy, honestly. Um, listen, like I said, he was, as a leader, um, and during 9-11, an effective leader because he was the kind of leader who would say, I'm in charge, everyone calm down, everything's going to be fine, and people really believed him and needed that kind of certitude. Um, 
Bloomberg came in and was a very different kind of mayor, but much more effective in my mind. I mean, if Giuliani's policy was to deal with the homeless problem by <laughs> arresting people and putting them in, homeless people and putting them in jail, Bloomberg attacked it, the problem, in a very intellectual way with policy um, and um, housing assistance largely is what, what I think Bloomberg used, um, and homelessness went way down. And since they, when de Blasio came in, they got rid of the policy um, involving housing assistance that Bloomberg had put into place. And guess what? You know, homelessness has skyrocketed since um, de Blasio took over. Uh, I think it's up across the country, but it's really a problem in our city. And it's, they're now, um, the city council, the head of the city council who's running for mayor, they're now proposing to go back to the Bloomberg policy of housing vouchers and helping lower income people with housing in the city because that's what's leading to the problem. We have something like 80,000 homeless people in the city at the moment. Wow. So I want to touch on, so you, you've said that you're Elizabeth Warren supporter, and but you also supported Mike Bloomberg. Does it bother you that he came into the race late, kind of on the idea that I look at the candidates in the field and I don't see somebody who can beat Trump? Does that offend you? It doesn't offend me. No, that doesn't offend me. I mean, and I have, I hope that nobody I know listens to this, but... Um, <laughs> they probably won't. <laughs> but but I, I, I did online a Washington Post um, questionnaire a few weeks ago, and it had 20 pretty nuanced questions about your position on issues. And on 14 of the, I was most aligned with Bloomberg. Oh, that's interesting. So, you know, in my mind, I think I'm this crazy liberal who supports Elizabeth Warren. And when I, they were pretty nuanced questions about um, health care. Um, you know, I'm a little concerned about Warren's um, shifting positions on health care. But um, anyway, yeah, I came, came up most aligned with Bloomberg, so. Now, what has the impeachment trial done for Democrats, in your view? What has it done for Democrats? Yes. Nothing good. Nothing good. Yeah, think I think that that's, I, I mean, listen, I was, Nancy Pelosi is one of the smartest political um, leaders I've ever seen working, and um, she decided not to go. I, I thought that um, the president could be impeached because he <coughs> had his personal attorney pay a porn star hush money and then didn't report it as a campaign contribution in 2016. She didn't want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him on that. I thought that uh, Bob Mueller opened it up for Congress to move to impeach and investigate the president because of his soliciting and accepting uh, hacked information um, in connection with the 2016 election. And I think for purely political reasons, she decided that it would be not helpful to the uh, party or to the upcoming election for her to, to do that. And then I just think what happened with Ukraine was so outrageous she had no choice. And I think it's, it may ultimately hurt us, um, even though I think the way that the um, proceedings went in Congress were very well done, terrifying um, in terms of what the administration had done and the way these people who were career diplomats and foreign service workers were treated. Um, but ultimately, it's just something that's going to be used very effectively by the president and his people to say that this is purely a partisan um, attack and this 
nonsense about trying to undo the 2016 election. So I think they're going to use it very effectively, and it will be exactly what Nancy Pelosi feared, but she had no choice. Now, uh, last question. Looking at 2020, from your perspective, given what you just said about impeachment and your experiences here in New York politics, are you optimistic that we're going to have a Democratic president? Or is the writing on the wall that Trump is reelected? I think that the polling is showing that <coughs> Trump is going to have a larger, he may lose more than the three million he lost to Hillary Clinton uh, in terms of the general vote, general election vote, but he will, the statistics and the, the polling is showing that he will uh, win in a, in a larger fashion in the Electoral College. So um, polls were wrong last time. I, I think, I think we're going to end up with Joe Biden as the as the candidate. Ultimately, we'll see. Um, I think he probably has the best chance because of his support in the African American community, because of um, his stature in the Democratic Party, his ability to appeal to the unions and more um, of the people who did not. Who Hillary Clinton did, did not do a great job of getting on board, um, but I'm not. I'm, I'm worried. Let's put it that way. Well, Darlene Stewart, I'm sorry we're ending on a note of you being worried, but it's been a pleasure having you on my show. <laughs> okay, thanks, Cynthia. <laughs>